Welcome to another episode of Divorce TV. And we've got Una Archer, who is a child psychologist who will be finishing the show in the healing side of things. So you might wonder, what would a child psychologist be doing that's healing? But we'll find out at the end of the show. And Erica England will be our expert today. And Erica's been through a recent divorce from her law firm. So we'll be finding out about that. And she's also a very experienced California mediator. So she'll be giving us some great guidance on how to get the best out of mediation and some kind of hot tips, especially for parents. But first of all, let's move on to the news. And I'm going to start with... Um, Express today, we, we have Philip Schofield has broken his social media silence. So everyone in, everyone in the UK knows Philip Schofield. As following claims, he's set to amicably divorce his wife, Stephanie Lowe, seven months after he came out as gay. Now, last week, the son claimed Philip and his wife had discussed getting a divorce in very loose and casual terms, a source said. Philip and Steph have had a lot of hard, painful conversations over the past 10 months, but remain as tight and devoted to one another as ever. She's been so supportive and he won't skip off into the sunset now and abandon her. At the same time, he has no desire to become embroiled in a bitter and costly divorce battle. Well, that's good to hear. Moving forward to uh, and from Al, Al Monitor in Egypt. So Egypt's presidencies clashes with religious institutions over verbal divorce. Now, the context of this is that uh, a Muslim man could legally divorce his wife. This is in case you are not aware of this by pronouncing talak, the Arabic word for divorce, three times. The pronouncement could be oral or written, or in recent times delivered by electronic means such as telephone, SMS, email or social media. Now calls for new legislation in Egypt to annul verbal divorce, namely by President Abel Fattah al-Sisi, raise the ire of al-Azhar and other religious institutions already at odds with the president. Now, some of you might think that's a great way to get a divorce, just say the word three times, but uh, there's been some real problems with it. The Administrative Court of the Egyptian State Council ruled in September that it does not have jurisdiction to look into the case, demanding the Minister of Justice to amend the personal status law in such a way to annul verbal divorce and have it authenticated officially by virtue of written documents. The legal case was also directed against the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar, Ahmed Al-Tayeb, to renounce verbal divorce, as many Egyptians, under daily pressure and stress, express orally their intention of divorce without any real will to do so. Tayeb and Al-Azhar's Council of Senior Scholars categorically rejected Sisi's call for the need for divorce authentication, on the basis that divorce verbally pronounced is the rule in Sharia. At the time, Sissy said that according to the Central Agency for Public Mobilisation and Statistics, 40% of marriage unions end up in divorce within five years, which threatens the stability of Egyptian families and children. He added that the new legislation would give couples a chance to reconsider a decision they might have made out of anger. Mahmoud Mana, a member of the Council of Senior Scholars, believes that the authentication of divorce does not necessarily mean a clash between the law and religion. 
a middle ground formula can be reached in a bid to preserve family unity and stability in light of the alarming increase in the number of divorce cases without undermining Sharia rules, Mana told Al Monitor in a phone interview. Mana stressed that Parliament has the right to issue a law to authenticate verbal divorce, but after considering the stance of Al Azhar to agree on a formula that is satisfactory to all parties. So this is what they've come up with. Luckily, he noted that a formula has been reached between the two parties whereby a divorce occurs when orally pronounced with the new bill requesting the husband to document the divorce within 24 hours. Otherwise, he faces penalties. I believe this is the middle ground between the legal and the religious text, Mana concluded. And our final news item for today is... Matt Dawson divorce, again another one that the UK, members of the UK will be familiar with. Why has Matt split with wife of 11 years? In a statement posted to his Twitter on Monday, Matt revealed he and Carolyn decided their relationship needs a new direction. Matt tweeted, we know this will be a surprise to most, but after 11 years together, Carolyn and I have decided our relationship needs a new direction, bringing our marriage to an end. The love for our beautiful boys grows stronger day by day, as does our friendship as co-parents. In a separate tweet, he added, To our dear friends, please continue to support us positively as you can for the next stage of our lives. It's vital that Alex and Sammy understand that we will always be a united family. And good luck to them both. And I'm, it's fantastic that they are being so open and determined to make sure that their children know that they're still a family just because mummy and daddy don't live in the same house. That doesn't stop you being a family. I'm now going to bring in our guest for the evening, which is, who is, or depending on what time of day you're watching, Erica England. Now, Erica, I mentioned earlier, Erica got divorced recently from her... Um, from her law firm. So we're going to have our intro slide and then I'm going to bring in Erica to explain what on earth's going on. Why would anyone who is a qualified lawyer leave their firm? Welcome Erica. Lovely to see you on the show again. Are you going to have to unmute yourself? Unmute yourself because we want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> Thank you. It it's, is a pleasure to be back with you. And uh, perhaps we could just start with why would you, you know, since we last spoke, you have got divorced from your own law firm. So what's going on there? I realized it was a toxic relationship. And, you know, when we see our friends going through these relationships it's from the outside, we're asking, why are they still doing that? Um, but in one's own relationship, it can be much harder to see. And with everything, the difficulties of COVID just really magnifying the stress of being a divorce attorney, which is a stressful job to begin with. Um, I just decided we, we were done. And what was there anything particular about, because uh, for those who don't know, um, you're a very experienced mediator and uh, yeah. you, haven't, you haven't left mediation, have you? I have almost entirely left, yes. Uh -huh. So as of now, not taking any new clients and just 
speaking about mediation. I'll be speaking at the Sacramento Women's Convention on October 10th. Uh, but my new position as the chief of strategy with Support Pay is taking all my time and actually using all the same skills. So tell us, what is Support Pay? Because it's something that a lot of us in the UK um, may not know about, but it's uh, it's incredibly useful if you're going through divorce or family change. It certainly is. I mean, how many people have you heard say, I wish I never had to talk to my ex about money again? And that's the problem we solve. So how, do, how do you do that? Only, uh, it's the world's only child support and spousal support management app that's built on a financial platform. So it allows parents to really easily make payments, communicate about expenses, keep track of all payments and reimbursements, and even dispute items when they don't agree to pay something or they think something is wrong. So it keeps the conflict down because the parents are communicating about money. And then also it keeps a lovely record of everything that's been paid. So whether parents do pay an ongoing amount of support each month or they don't, they'll still have expenses with their children like ballet and art class and school tuition. And all of these expenses can be exchanged and tracked through the site. Fabulous, fabulous. And But we're going to make the most while we have you here of your many years of experience in mediation and helping families. So one of the questions I've got for you is how do you decide whether you should mediate or go to court? I only told clients that there were three reasons that they would be in court. One reason is your spouse is in court. So you've got to show up. The other is that you need the court's protection. And that's something like, whether it could be financial abuse, physical abuse, um, you're, you're concerned about your children being exposed to something that they can't see. But essentially, you need the protection of the court. The third scenario, um, you know, no one marries a narcissist but quite a few people divorce them. And someone who truly has a narcissistic personality or some other inability to mediate will bring both people into court. And uh, so, but for the vast majority of people, they're not in those categories, are they? So there's two, would you agree that too too many people are ending up in court really shouldn't be there? Oh, wildly so. And it's, two reasons why. Attorneys are financially motivated and they are ethically obligated to work in the interest of the client. And so this means that they get into the case and they begin billing and billing and billing under the guise of protecting the client. And this increases the acrimony and increases the litigation. And it's a cycle that just gets worse and worse. The other reason that people are in court when they don't need to be is they can't afford attorneys. And the only assistance that we give people in the United States if they can't afford attorneys is pushing them through the courtroom. We we unfortunately don't have any assistance at all, any path through the courthouse that is mediated path. So there are a great number of people who don't have any disputes 
and yet they're still pushed through the litigation pathway. It's a bit insane, really, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And uh, have you got some tips for us for parenting plans? Because um, I'm, I'm always encouraging people to really early on to, to and, and often using mediators to help them create the parenting plans. But the, age, the ages of the children can make a huge difference to that. What kind of considerations would you encourage people to think about? That's a wonderful question. Parenting plans are so personal. Often we see people looking to the internet or asking their friends what their parenting plan should be, but it really needs to be based on your own family. And there, that is really four corners, as I used to draft them. How flexible versus how structured does your parenting plan need to be? For example, parents that are very high conflict need a very structured parenting plan telling them what they are doing on Wednesday night at 830 Whereas parents that are very agreeable can even have a parenting plan that says nothing more than we're going to share time with the children. So along that spectrum of flexibility all the way to structure, every family is going to be in a different spot. And that's the first question that I would have people ask themselves. And then the second is how do you balance the needs of the children against the needs of the parents? So we may have some children that do not like to transition. They like to have longer periods of time in a home. But then we also might have parents that are traveling and they're gone for long periods of time. So in real life, we have to think about what's going on with your own family, how much structure you need and how much flexibility, what your children's needs are, and what your practical life is demanding of you. And with all of those things, people are often dealing with multiple children who, if they're anything like mine, have very different personalities. So if this is the case, generally what we suggest is you adapt your parenting plan to the younger child or the more anxious child. This way, the child who's older or less anxious is going to be okay, but we've got a net that we know is catching everybody. That's brilliant advice. I'd not heard that before. I think that's excellent. Would you agree that even if a couple are at war over the finances, that doesn't mean they can't use mediation to agree around the children and create a healthy, well-boundary parenting plan. Absolutely, they can. And sometimes the side effect of that is that they're able to actually realize the powerful opportunity that mediation creates for them to stop fighting about those financial issues as well. So they'll come in and they'll begin talking in a productive way and putting together a parenting plan that's respectful to each parent and they're communicating in a way maybe they haven't communicated in years. And they're able to look at what they're doing in court and say, maybe we don't need to even be doing that anymore. So often, yes, the parenting plan can be the gateway drug to an entirely mediated process. Yeah, I think so too. And tools, um, what kind of tools as a mediator um, would you recommend that are constructive for discussion with a, with a spouse? What kind of guidance have you given as a mediator to couples to help the communication be be better? Because as you say, they may have spent many, many years having very dysfunctional communication. My first piece of advice to them is always, if it's not working, stop. So you know your communication patterns well enough by now that if you're trying to resolve something outside of a session, it gets heated, you get into your conflict dynamic, just 
solved. That's why you have a professional that you can call or text or set a meeting with who can guide you through it. The other suggestion is to use some agreed upon communication guidelines and ground rules. So writing down on a piece of paper, when we have discussions inside or outside of mediation, we will, for example, not interrupt each other, not use swear words, not yell, be focused on the future. Everybody's ground rules might be different, but there's a great power in writing them and setting them on the table between you, whether you're in or you're out of mediation sessions. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant advice because quite often people might be shouting through habit and not even realise or conscious. If you can point at it on the bit of paper, it might be enough to remind them. Um, and finally, it, it, yeah, I do. I literally do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just such a good tool. And finally. I mean, some people who are going through divorce, it's been a long, a long gap before they are. They've already kind of moved on. They're not. They're not in trauma stage. They're actually thinking about dating again. Um, what kind of guidance do you have for people who are at that stage and they really want to go out there and and move forwards and and perhaps yeah, perhaps date and and find a new partner? Oh wow, I have a lot. I've been there personally. Um, First, recognize that your partner that you've just left is maybe not at the same stage that you are. And so keeping your dating life private and not bringing your children early into a relationship is really helpful because it's not going to raise wounds or cause problems with your former partner. You've got to recognize that you might be through it, but they're not. So do what you do privately and also safely. It's a very different world with Tinder and Bumble uh, and COVID, and it's hard to know what you might be exposing yourself to. So if you're interested in going out on a date with someone that you don't know very well, you can actually vet them before the date with their email address, with their social media handles, with any mutual friends that you've got on any social media platforms see what kind of information you can get to make sure that this person is not married, um, not <laughs> strange, and um, that is who they say that they are. That's a way to protect yourself. So I would say protect your spouse, your, your former spouse, protect yourself and go into it safely. And, um, and then just have a great time because this is a whole new world personally and sexually and spiritually. And these are all really different ways that you have an opportunity to connect with someone. You may not even know what you want. Go and enjoy. And just, and that you get talking as if there is, um, there's not just life after divorce, that, that, that it can be um, a revelatory, enjoyable outcome for you in the end I'm presumably not just from the dating so what what is your experience whether whether it's personally or through clients that you've worked with because there's still that sense I think that people think oh divorce I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life and and it's just not true is it it's usually not true and by no means am I minimizing the pain and the trauma that divorce does cause but it is an opportunity whether or not we take it, to really find out more about who we are, what we love and what our interests are, and the life that we want to live. We are often in a marriage, um, we don't know how much we have molded ourselves with the other person and in that amalgamation lost 
our own interests a bit. So for me personally, I would say that um, one of the joys was just seeing I had so much more strength than I ever thought I had. My children were one and three. I was breastfeeding when their dad and I divorced. And that is a hard time to be a parent, let alone to be going through a divorce. So I look back and I can say, I am stronger than I think I am. And when I have hard times in life now, I can look back at that and know I can handle things. For other people, it could be practical, like they never knew how to balance a bank account or change a tire or braid their little girl's hair. And they get to pick up on this whole half of life that they didn't experience before and expand themselves practically, intellectually. And then finally, for many men that didn't have a really close relationship with their children, and for many women that didn't spend a lot of time in the workplace, this provides an opportunity for them to learn a lot more about the joys and the challenges that they weren't experiencing in those realms and really become so much deeper and so much more full. And on that very inspirational note, I say thank you so much, Erica, and I look forward to getting you back on the show soon. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Susie. And it is good to know, isn't it, that you can go through this life-changing experience and come out the other end. And, and it is a catalyst often for many of us for amazing, amazing change. So we're now coming to the learning stage, a little brief uh, clip of our masterclass. And in this, I'm just going to take us through the last stage of the five key stages in your divorce plan. Just some things to think about at the, the last stage of this, where we're going to talk about dealing with the unexpected. Now, with any plan, whether it's a parenting plan or just your own personal plan of what kind of things you want to discuss around the finances, you need to remember that you cannot control your co-parent or your ex. And so you need to think about different options, plan A, plan B, plan C. So for example, uh, let's say financially, what you can have the best plans in the world, but what if one of you becomes made redundant and you're the main financial provider um, or lose your job completely, which of course is happening a lot with COVID. What about if you one of you has a promotion and that means moving a town or city or even country? And you've got to remember that you, as, as parents, co-parents, you're a team. So it is a good idea to talk about these things as, as a really, really early stage. Now, you're not necessarily going to come up with solutions for them all, but sometimes having those discussions can alert you to something that maybe is more likely than you thought. And then the what you need to do if that happens, you do need to have a backup plan. So even if it's just for yourself personally, um, even better if it's something you can discuss together. That's a wise thing to do because things do tend to happen <laughs> with, the, with the best laid plans of mice and men, as they say. Things happen that you weren't expecting that can have a massive, massive impact on your life. Emotionally as well, this can happen. So uh, often sometimes someone has a parent who dies and that leaves them emotionally debilitated for a while and that affects their co-parenting or the ability to work. Um, and it's really important that as a co-parenting team that you, eat whatever the state 
quality of your relationship, even if you're not best friends, that you have compassion and understanding for each other. Uh, it could be that you, one of you is compa- uh, caring for elderly parents. You need to understand that that person, that parent has additional responsibilities of time and an emotional energy as well. And if these are good things to talk about, and these are kind of things you can just be talking about uh, often with the help of mediation. It's good to get them out and air them. It could be that uh, you know all these things have an impact on your time and the cost and location as well. So if you're having to travel every other weekend to an elderly parent, that's going to affect your the the the, the scheduling of of the co-parenting. And you want to make sure that the other co-parent is aware of what's really going on in your life because sometimes we can become a bit cut off from each other and not really fill each each other in with what's going on. So those co-parenting practicalities, I mean, I had an experience when my children's father at one point announced that he was being made redundant. And uh, that was a pretty terrifying prospect for me at the time. It's like, oh my God, who's going to pay the bills? Uh, I I relied very heavily uh, with three small children on on his financial contribution. So we had a chat about it and he, 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 for that period of time, has spent more time looking after the children so I had more time to to spend trying to to earn a bit of extra money so we we kind of found a way around it um and to be able to have that flexibility in your relationship uh, is really really important because these kind of things will happen and if you've got a relationship where the other person is perhaps not so it's it's not so easy to come to those kind of of agreements perhaps the communication is still very poor then if you know that right up front, because you've tried to have that conversation, then you may be thinking, well, a clean break is really important in this divorce because you know you, you know that you're not gonna really be able to rely well on any financial ongoing contribution because um, if anything changes, you can't even have a conversation about it. So it can actually have an impact on the kind of settlement that you want. And finally, you want to uh, also talk a little bit about healing and resilience. Um, allowing time for yourself um it, it's especially busy mums we tend to just charge ahead and try and do everything um i nearly killed myself that way my my appendix burst and i didn't even notice at the time and uh it, it was a, a a real wake up call to me that i should have not tried to be super mum and i should have allowed myself time to heal and and to look after myself better and and i think you need to be aware of that with your co-parent if you see they're just on hyperdrive uh, fight and flight mode um, think about actually that's not good for the children if they become ill that's going to affect you so even from a selfish point of view it's really good to to make sure that everyone is looking after themselves properly and as we were talking about with Erica just then starting over moving on um, looking at how perhaps uh, coaching uh, can be a fantastic tool transition coaching dealing with uh, and if you are in that situation then in the secret divorce group we've got the lovely Jane Parslow who can help you with that she is a transitions coach dealing with ongoing tricky relationships um, thinking about you know, that's not going to go away what are you doing about that well Ruth is Ruth Driscoll she's amazing she's been helping lots of the members of the secret divorce group in fact we had a meet up um, the other night we have a monthly meet up and on zoom with members of the group and they were showing some brilliant brilliant advice for everyone there and it's just so important to focus on a positive future because what you focus on is what you get
So these are just some of the ways that we can help divorcing people take back control. Um, we cover a lot of these areas in the Divorce Masterclass, which is an online masterclass, lots of videos. You can use the QR code and access a big chunk of it for free if you're, if you, uh, if you're quick. I can't keep it like that forever, but uh, I do want to make sure that people get access to the help and resources that they need. Or join us in the Secret Divorce Group, which is not on Facebook. So moving forwards now, we're going to move on to our shared story, which is um, there was a, a video of I interview I did with Nikki and Benjamin and they have a book called Our Happy Divorce. And I have to admit, I read it with some trepidation and uh, it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. It was a lovely, lovely um, account of their transition into an extended family. So I've, I've reduced it down to a five minute uh, short little bit here, which I'd love to share with you. And so enjoy this little bit of um, our shared story. Everything that we've done this through these last, what, 13 and a half years has, it, has been about him because he was supposed to be here. This marriage isn't, an, isn't, isn't a failure because we have this child. So we as parents can't fail him, which I think too many people do. They fail their children just because their own marriage failed. Right. And, and the idea that, that uh, from the beginning, the fake it to make it uh, is... Uh, you know, you don't like each other in the beginning, no, no matter what. Yeah, divorces don't end because, uh, you know, end with uh, a kumbaya moment, you know, of, of love and, and compassion. Uh, it's the fruit salad of uh, emotions, and, and the two main uh, buttons or triggers are the romance and finance buttons. And, and as you know, divorce presses both those extremely hard. So, um, you, you know, everybody's been around a divorce. Uh, family that does not get along and it's an uncomfortable palpable uh, uh, situation that makes everybody uncomfortable so what we decided from the beginning was let's just put on our big boy pants right let's just you know when when Nikki comes to the game Asher's game uh, with her new boyfriend um, I go over and and when Asher runs over and hugs Chad Nikki's new boyfriend at the time, husband now, uh, I go over and then after he's done, I give Chad a hug and smile. And meanwhile, the, my insides are doing somersaults, you know, but on the outside, it's sort of like the duck on the water, right? On the outside, I probably looked like I was floating nicely smooth across the water, but underneath my legs are kicking like crazy. And, and that was sort of the process of what we went through. So everybody didn't, most importantly Asher, but then everybody else around us didn't feel like walking on eggshells. It might have felt a little strange at first. Right. Right. Yeah. But it, it actually eased people around us a bit. Yeah. Everybody I think there's still people that think we're weird. This is and this is the reason why actually we decided to write the book is because people didn't you know, it was it, it's so against the norm of what people think on divorce. And even when you being in the field um, and, and being around a couple, when you first read it, it's like, come on, you know, these right. people are trying to get a reality show or right. It's just so far fetched. Um, 
that that eventually people's like you know we would just go about our normal lives of, of, of posting on social media and and people would have comments like you guys are amazing you're inspirational well people i think people would also say well if you get along so well why aren't you married right it, it, it's a different kind of love right yeah. it, it, it's a um sort of best friend love. i think we respect each other more now than we did when no we question. were married no question and we do live on the same street um, and our son is able to go down uh, and go between houses whenever he wants. There's no, uh, what are you doing at your mother's? It's my night. You know, why'd you stop by there? I mean, uh, we, yeah, we do try to keep a schedule for him right. because I think that helps keep kids. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's normalized. Good for, yeah. Right. But I mean, if, if he wants to go down there and have dinner, if he wants to come to our, my house and have dinner, it's totally fine. Right. And, and so other people were, were, were saying these things and, and sort of egging us on or pr pushing us to write this book. Um, because it is, um, at least in my experience and why I sort of convinced Nikki for a long time uh, to, to write it with me, um, because it makes, I think it's so meaningful that it comes from both of us. Right. That it's, you know, alternating chapters. It did take five years to four years to write because the, we don't get along hundred percent of the time. Our happy divorce is not a happy, you know, there will be fights and Nikki would say, I'm not doing your effing book and you can stick your book where the, you know, the sun doesn't shine. So we wouldn't talk about the book for a month. Um, right. and then, you know, it sort of evolved. I mean, we would talk during that month. Right. We wouldn't talk about the book. The book Cause it was, it, it was shoved somewhere where we didn't want to get it. But, uh, and then we decided what an important through the process of writing it and bringing it up, uh, we realized what an important role that our, our, our spouses play in this whole deal. And, and, and we felt it to be appropriate for them to write a chapter. Right. So when you said all the characters involved, uh, you know, have a voice is, is, is my wife, Nadia and uh, Nikki's husband, Chad, both wrote a book because I mean, what an important yeah. role chapter. <laughs> in the book what an important role they play and w what they have to do is exactly what Nikki and I had to do in the beginning and that's put ego aside mm -hmm. it's not about and and so they had to buy into what we were trying to accomplish and they've done so with grace um and, and the outcome has been that they've just sort of fit into our lives uh, each of our lives perfectly lovely story um i love the reality and the groundedness there's no fluffiness there yeah it is tough having a good strong co-parenting relationship but it's a lot easier than having a nasty one so we're just gonna have a quick roundup and then we get to our lovely experiential finale with una so just very briefly we have the uh, divorce uh, financial workshop again this is the waiting list still waiting to pin down when we can have the next one but as you can see people thanks divorce squad i love that name uh, people had a great time at the last one and we hope that if you are in that situation where it'd be really good to have a couple of hours with a whole load of amazing experts uh, to talk to and then uh, that would be a great workshop for you to join in with and we're now ready for our healing so I'm going to run the slide and then introduce you to Una.
Welcome, Una. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure, Susie. Thanks for having me. And before we get started, could you just give us a little idea? First, for those who don't already know you, let us tell us uh, what you do, because we know you are parenting after you're parenting after separation. I know you're a ch uh, child psychologist. You're very highly qualified. And you've worked a lot with parents who are in the divorce situation. But there's another side to you as well, a sort of healing side, which we're going to experience. Perhaps you could give us a little bit of an intro to that so we know what to expect. Mm. Yes, sure. So... Even though I spent six years in full-time studies and I do have a master's degree in educational psychology, my professional title is Registered Circle of Security Parenting Facilitator. And that's what I do because often separated parents, they really do want to put their children's need first, but they just have too much going on to focus on supporting their children in the way they really want to. And I help them to take them the guesswork out of this process. So Circle of Security Parenting is an easy-to-follow, step-by-step process based on decades of attachment research that helps them to nurture their children's sense of security even when they have little time, little energy, like really little to give, as often is the case when people are going through separation. And what are you, what's the little process you're going to take us through now? So tonight I'll take you through just a few minutes of relaxation. And before I do that, just, you know, a little bit of background why I'm going to yes. do that. So again, from research, we know that when it comes to children's emotional security, them feeling safe, them feeling loved, the main contributing factor to that is parents feeling safe and what happens to parents sense of safety when they're going through separation you know i don't need to spell it out <laughs> and so with so much uncertainty quite often parents find themselves in that chronic fight or flight state and you know whilst it can take a while to put all the pieces of the puzzle to find the right place for them. What parents can do straight away is to really look after their nervous system and to help their, to send their brain a signal that, you know, is in that chronic fight or flight state that you mentioned in the show already, that in this moment, the situation is safe. Like right now, you can relax. And then from that place, it's so much easier to parent, so much easier to connect with your children, so much easier to see what it is they need and give it to them. And we're going to have a little taster of that. And um, and I'm I right in thinking that you will give a link uh, to anyone watching online in the comments afterwards, once I tag you into the different platforms, um, uh, so people can download it and, and, and learn more and find out more. Is that right? Yes, people can. I'll share the link and simply by going to parentingaftersepparation.co.uk, they can access a free guided relaxation there. Wonderful. So I'm going to give a little bit of gentle background, uh, background music so everyone relax and enjoy. Mm. So the fastest way to send your brain message that it is safe, that you are safe, is by slowing down your breathing and even if you do that just for one minute 
it's very likely that you notice that you're feeling calmer straight away. So if you are comfortable, allow your eyes to close and make yourself comfortable. If you need to do a little wiggle or a shuffle, just adjust your body and draw your focus to your breath. Notice the air coming in and blowing out. And allow your breath to slow down a little bit and deepen a little bit. short pauses in between each inhale and each exhale notice what else is happening in your body right now There might be some active places or some tight places. Simply notice, there's no need to change it or make it go away. Deep, slow breath. And as you continue to breathe deeply, bring your awareness to your heart. Connect with your heart energy. child and if you have more than one children just connect with one of them for now notice what's it like to be in their presence Is what you appreciate about them. Notice 
Notice the delight that fills your heart as you think about your child. And take a few more slow, comfortable breaths. gently open and come back into the room. Notice how you're feeling just after a few minutes of slower, deeper breathing. How are you, Susie? Lovely. <laughs> I'm just thinking, wouldn't that be amazing to have both parents do before a mediation session where they're talking about the children and co-parenting? You'd have mm. a very different discussion that would be genuinely, not just child-focused, but it's so amazing to remember how amazing your children are and how they make you feel and to tap into that as an energy source instead of looking at them and feeling guilty or stressed it totally changes that's absolute magic i loved it thank you so much una thank you so much my pleasure susie <laughs> and uh, i'll see you again soon i hope perhaps even physically <laughs> in person mm, which would be yes, lovely catch up soon thank you wow wouldn't that be quite transformational if you were to do that with the the father or mother of your children and child before doing a, what could otherwise be a, a stressful thing that you think, oh God, we've got to talk about the parenting plan or the child finances around the children. I think that would be a, like a magic bullet and completely change the experience. So I'll make sure that we'll, we'll get Luna to add a link to that so you can access it. So we now come to the end of the show and in The War of Divorce on the battlefield of family separation, always, always make peace your weapon of choice.